1: Hello and welcome to ZDNet Security Update with me Danny Palmer, senior reporter at ZDNet in London. Nation-state backed hacking and cyber espionage campaigns aren't going away anytime soon and in 2020 it's still been causing problems around the world. With me to discuss this issue is Ben Reid, Senior Manager of Cyber Espionage at FireEye. Hi Ben, thanks for coming on the show and there's one particular campaign you've been tracking haven't you?
0: Sure, so we released a paper last week about a group we track as APT41, which we believe they're sponsored by the Chinese government. And they were, over the past three months, they've conducted sort of either scannings or intrusion attempts against over 75 of our customers. Um, Really, and what's been notable about it is how widespread it was. So 75 is a a decent number, that's just our customers. And, but it's it's included um, companies as far afield as sort of, Denmark, Canada, the United States, down to the Philippines, Australia, India, Malaysia. And the verticals have also been been widely scattered. It's included sort of banking, the defense industrial base, oil and natural gas manufacturing. So it's been, it's been one of the most widespread campaigns we've seen from Chinese groups in recent years.
1: What does it say about um, this attack group that it's still going with such broad campaigns right now, especially with everything else that's going on in the world and, and in that particular region at the time this report is, 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 is looking at?
0: So it, it tells us a number of things. The first is that sort of these, these groups are sort of very important to state function. They are sort of essential employees, uh, as we would say here in the States. Um, so it sort of shows a premium on that and that they're able to continue to operate through challenging, uh, a challenging situation. We did see pauses in activity around the the Chinese New Year and around sort of some of the the lockdowns that went into place in mainland China. So there does, there's potential for some effect, um, where you can never be fully sure whether it was our visibility or an actual pause. But we've definitely seen them continue to operate through those. So they've, and the widespreadness really tells us that they've got a big mandate. They've got a lot of information they're out there to try to collect. uh, And they've been tasked with sort of a big task.
1: So be it China or any of the other nations conducting this activity, it's a broad question, but what are the general aims of these campaigns when they're trying to um, conduct attacks against all of these organizations? As you mentioned, uh, this particular campaign targeted at least 75 companies in a vast array of sectors. So there's obviously a lot of information that's attempted to be, in, to, to be collected there. Uh, what is the reason for uh, such a widespread campaign?
0: So APT41 is one of the most interesting groups in terms of motivation because we've definitely seen them do the sort of traditional espionage stuff where they gather information for really the, the benefit of either the the Chinese government or Chinese corporations uh, to steal intellectual property, monitoring dissidents, uh, trying to steal information from other countries, sort of foreign ministries, things like that. But we've also seen them engage in extensive sort of financially motivated operations. These have focused on the sort of video gaming sector. Um, They've they've sort of monetized those in a bunch of different ways, but they really, they're one of the more interesting groups because they really do and do well, both of these sort of financially motivated and espionage motivated operations. So I, these are these operations are things that we sort of stopped or detected in their early phases so it's hard to say exactly what the motivation was but based on their past history i would guess that it was this mix of espionage motivation and probably some financial motivation opportunistically thrown in
1: what do you think that tells us about the blurred lines between cyber criminal activity and nation state activity because in a lot of cases there's the same tactics going on the use of phishing malware um, social engineering so it, it, it's almost two sides of the same coin in a way just being applied in different in different fashions
0: yeah so they I mean they definitely use a lot of the same same ways to get in sort of exploit the same vulnerabilities everybody uses macro documents and these are these are done because sort of Computer setups, lots of people run Windows, lots of people run sort of Active Directory or Macintosh computers or things like that. So it's sort of, there's only so many ways to to scan a cat, so you're going to see some convergences there. But APT41 is one of the sort of exceptions that proves the rule in terms of the same group doing both. We've seen some overlaps with Russian groups where they'll be sort of primarily doing some crime stuff and then go after some things that looks like it's uh, sort of a state tasking. Um, but these are still the minority. Most of the groups generally stick on one side of it or another, even if they're using very similar
1: techniques. So what do you think we can see from nation-state activity uh, going forward? Uh, how has the way they've evolved in the past, what can that tell us about how they could, how they could develop in future?
0: <clears throat> so one of the things that we've seen, especially the Chinese groups increasingly move to, and this, this sort of, this paper shows a number of examples of this, is they're, they're trying to get away from requiring human interaction. We've seen sort of a push towards leveraging vulnerabilities in web, web-facing applications. We saw this from a lot of the, the VPN vulnerabilities that were patched last year, were gone after by Iranian groups, this sort of um, the Cisco router vulnerability we think was targeted, um, the Citrix uh, ADC here. These are all things that were are web-facing. And so we think, it, it gives you a little bit more control over the process as an operator if you don't need to depend on somebody clicking a phishing email. Um, we definitely see a lot of phishing, but sort of an increasingly high mix of exploiting web web facing uh, applications.
1: I suppose that's an advantage for the attackers because if you can take out the middleman in a being you know, the person having to click a link in a phishing email, that might not always be successful, but if they can brute force um, a router or any other sort of IoT device or or a web-facing port, that's going to give them more chance of success, isn't it?
0: So, yeah, it definitely gives them more control. Um, You can sort of, it's more predictable what's going to happen than when you send a spear phishing email, and it's a little bit less um, sort of liable to get reported, and then a security company looks into it. But as we see here, these are still, it still is possible to both sort of prevent these by patching and sort of detect them as they come in because... Once they get in, you still need to use malware. And even in these cases, they use sort of off-the-shelf uh, cobalt strike beacon. And those are things that you can develop robust signatures for. So there are different ways in, but you can still, if you're defending in depth, you can detect these types of
1: things at different stages and still minimize your company's or organization's vulnerability to it an interesting point that you bring about off-the-shelf malware because when it comes to nation-state backed attacks in a lot of cases we hear about custom-built tools uh, what does it tell us about the how powerful uh, off-the-shelf malware can be if nation-state groups which could potentially have vast amounts of funding are picking them up and using them for themselves
0: so there are two things about the off-the-shelf malware one is that yes they are sort of very full-featured sort of some of the publicly available Uh, even open source uh, toolkits can really do everything that you would want malware to do. So the groups will take these and then add their own layers of obfuscation to it um, to sort of hinder detection. But it also, there's a second reason to use it and that's because it can sort of, it can help you blend in. These are tools that are used by pen testing companies. They're used by a variety of actors. So as opposed to sort of using something you've developed yourself that's kind of signature and tells everybody, hey, this is APT 41 If you use an off the shelf tool, um, these alerts may not get investigated as thoroughly if you blend into everything else. They may, be, uh, may make it more difficult to attribute or track your, ac- track your activity. So th- they have numerous benefits. And also it's cheaper. Um, it's important to remember that there are people behind this. They are organizations. They have budgets that you know. They have a limited number of people. It's, they're, they are real, real sort of organizations and bureaucracies on the other side of this stuff as well.
1: I suppose, like any organisation, their efficiency is going to be key. And, and as you mentioned, if they can avoid getting detected, that's obviously going to be a big advantage when you're conducting an espionage campaign. I mean, it's the reason for the campaign to exist. If you're detected, it's probably not going to be an ideal uh, end result if you're found out.
0: Yeah, we see, the, I mean, there's, there's kind of two priorities here, there's sort of, there's stealthiness to not getting detected, and then there's the the priority of not getting the activity attributed to you if it does get detected. And while using custom malware um, that nobody's used before, or sort of that's unique to you, may make it slightly harder to get the initial detection, and it'll make the attribution to you much easier. Um, And the, but using sort of off-the-shelf malware, kind of, even if you have your own if you can sort of successfully implement your own obfuscation or things like that of it can really make it still fairly hard to detect, but also very hard to attribute.
1: So what can organizations do to ensure that they're as well protected against <clears throat> campaigns and, and other hacking campaigns as possible? We, we, we've discussed how there are some common weaknesses attackers like to use. So what can, what can businesses do to make sure that those weaknesses can't be exploited if at all possible?
0: So I think this this blog and this activity we've seen from APT41 and sort of the Iranian groups last year really highlights the need to sort of place priority on patching your web, any web-facing systems. Um, we saw APT41 turn a proof-of-concept vulnerability and sort of use that in production after three days. And I mean, if it was easy to patch everything quickly, people would, there would be these problems. So I know it's, I don't want to minimize those difficulties, but it does show sort of as soon as a proof-of-concept is out there, these get incorporated by, by espionage actors, by criminal actors very quickly. So as much as you can sort of build your organization to try to do that, um, and then when you're not able to do that, sort of defending against these open source malware, um, it's open source, you can go look at it, um, you can kind of examine it, it has default configurations. These were sort of um, not particularly crazy setups. So if you can sort of focus detection energy on that and sort of have those down pat, It can really stop a broad variety of threats.
1: Useful advice. Thank you, Ben, and thanks for coming on ZDNet Security Update. And for more security news and how to protect yourself against attacks, be sure to keep reading ZDNet. Thank you for watching.
0: Goodbye.